Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Hi, everybody. We're here. No. <laughs> I still have to say, welcome. Like, who's talking? There we go. Welcome to episode 304. I'm Kevin Oakley. And with me today is Andrew Peake and Julie Jarnigan. Hello. Howdy. The week before the summit, but you're hearing Ooh. this during summit week. Yep. So that means next week you'll hear all about the summit. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited. Record at the We're summit or, or don't record at the summit. It's a lot of work recording at the summit. I, yeah. They convinced me last year not to record at the summit, which was nice to be able to see people and interact with more people. But we'll do, we might do a, a like Wednesday night dinner wrap uh, recording idea. or maybe, yeah, we'll do some type of recording, but not yeah. during the actual show. But just heads up, this episode will be shorter because of the summit. And also it's just my nature. I drank more coffee to try to help it. But when I know I'm about to be um, physically stretched and tired, I tend to hoard energy in preparation. So like I could. I can understand that. Yeah. Go to bed earlier. I try not to like, just just pull it in a little bit. So maybe maybe a few less sound effects, a little less silliness. You know, I know you, people have gotten used to now two episodes in a row of um, caffeinated Kevin. So this CK. one's just gonna be a little more, a little more chill, low, low key Kevin. We'll be back, Kevin. We'll be back. Yeah, you only have so much energy in a day, right? You can only give so much or a week, <laughs> whatever it is. And yeah, I think yeah, my mind's like, all right, well, summit is here soon but that's, that's not true for your wife or my is. wife so i don't know that's right? true i need to make sure she's set up with everything uber eats every day <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get into story time julie julie yeah okay um but this i'm hoping this is a fully formed thought because this is like a new thing that has been rattling in my brain for the couple of days uh, because of a few different conversations i've had but it seems like with our builders we talk a lot about problem solving and struggling communities and i talk about it in my book like be a problem solver with your content it's in my talk but then i've also recently had conversations of to take it to the next level instead of just being a problem solver and reacting to when things are going wrong and bad, and that's marketing's job, like nothing's selling, marketing needs to fix it. It's like, how do we get up out ahead of that? How do we see it? And so that's what I've been thinking. And I think what is the hard part is that it's not just the analytics and it's not just talking down in the field. It's this weird nuance of all of it combined. It's looking at the numbers and looking at the ads and talking to onsite and consumer sentiment. And that's where the real challenge comes in that it's hard to wrap your arms around so i'm hoping you all have some thoughts because i don't have like an answer to this but this has been oh, yeah um this has been in the thing in my brain mm. is how do we get beyond just we're reacting to whatever problem people have to we're the ones who see it coming have our eyes on it and can come to the table with we see it see this here's where, how we're gonna head it mm. off so this is the whole episode Man. huh this, this could be. <laughs> that could be it. How much yeah. time do we have? I'm feeling my energy level peak up. I love okay. this question. Kevin, you want to go first? Want me to go? Um, no, you go. You go first. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I'll take it from a. If I was 
I think my perspective is how I function and then also how I could see the rest of the team doing these things. And I'm already seeing like, all right, where will it fail? How can it succeed? But more so like what would we need to do to set up our team if they're to be more proactive, which could be relatable to the builders. Um, one, I think they need dedicated time to thinking about the future. Like if they're already slammed and they don't even have time to, to be even caught up with the current, adding this to their plate. Like yeah, it's you're just treading like, water, so you don't have time to do time. anything but tread water. It's like, mm -hmm. thanks, something I can't do again. Cool, this is a lot of fun. Um, so just making sure they have time for that, but also they might not have time for that now because they're not thinking about the future enough and that's making them be slower and they have to be more reactive. Being reactionary could take twice as long as just like looking towards the future and being better prepared. So that's a you know conundrum in itself. So more time. Two, the next one would be really getting into analytics and kind of forecasting, like what would be success? There's this book I think I've talked about like 20, 30 times predictable revenue, where essentially it's, it's for a company like builders would be really tough, but say software as a service, let's say it was HubSpot or Lasso, each person along the sales funnel or the, or the pipeline has like a dollar amount assigned to themselves. So like we have leads coming in, those are worth X, Y, Z, and their threshold needs to be $20 million in potential future revenue, right? Then the next person who's actually closing the deal, theirs needs to be 5 million. If it ever gets beneath these thresholds, they need to then you know get an action and do something about it. So on the marketing side, like, all right, if page views for our communities or user count for our communities ever get beneath whatever number, 800 or 1,000 per month, then we need to do something about it before we're even told to fix something. But we don't want to spend money on a community that doesn't need help. So then we also need to have the context of, well, how many home sites are left? Are we about to close out in a few months? X, Y, Z, so we're not just wasting money. So I think those two things combined could really be a kind of a quick and easy start. Just pick a number based off of historical averages, say the past three months of like, all right, we need at least a thousand users per month per community. And if we're not hitting that, then we just need to try to do what we can to hit that, adjust the budget, then make sure we have time dedicated to, to think about these things. That's not at the end of the week. Like mm -hmm. it's Monday morning, it's Monday afternoon, it's Tuesday morning. Wait till Friday, like, oh, I'll do it Monday. Then you'll do it the next Friday. And you'll go, oh, I'll wait till next Monday. Then it never gets done. That's <laughs> it. I'm done. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree with pretty much all of that. The only thing for clarity's sake, because I don't want people to hear, is the number of page visits or sessions or users that a community page gets is irrelevant as a function of whether there's enough or not. It, it's out of context of where are we at in sales and appointments. Um, you know, so if your conversion rates are great, you might only need 350 users to visit a month. So we use that thousand number round number as a general rule for something that's struggling, but every community shouldn't need that. In fact, most won't in order to be successful as long as conditions are okay. I just jotted down real quick. Um, the first thing is the macro level, and that's the, like the highest level you can think of, which to me is outside of your individual company, outside of even your individual geographic area that you serve. What is a typical housing market cycle? And again, typical is a word we haven't been able to use for a while, but we still know like, and this is my point when I say that someone who's their first year in the business and in the role of marketing 
they're almost always going to be reactive for an entire year. But the first time that you realize that there is a cyclical nature, if no one's taught you or shown you, you should be able to think into the future and predict what the fourth quarter is going to look like. Not to specifics, but you know that it's going to be lower. It just is. And so fighting that, like that's the easiest looking into the future thing you can do is at that level. And yet a bunch of people until I, f- I feel like we finally said it 3,700 times where the majority of the people we work with now, they're not, they're all, when we bring this up again on our calls, they're like, yep, I've already been telling the sales managers and the sales team, like, get ready. In fact, my last call I just came from, she said, yeah, I just told everyone, just know that like all of the sales you need to get from now until the end of the year are in your system. <laughs> and it wasn't like, like we're going to stop trying, but you know, we're not going to be held to the standard of getting all of the new people necessary because there's still all these other people that are in the system. And that's been a common theme, by the way, of really high appointment counts or high enough appointment counts. And they're like, well, we hit our sales goal last month, but you look and you're like, but you only converted 8% of your appointments. So where did those other people go? And it, it's kind of universal. 95% of people say, I don't really know. And that's not just marketers. That's, that's people who are head of sales as well. Like, oh, that's a good point. We should go back and look at those people. So I think if you start at the macro level, you'll, you'll be less likely. It's just a good place to start. And, and even outside of in non-typical years, there's still something to it. Um, then you get to your own builder level and, and there will be individual cycles within your own builder culture, the company you work for. And I'll give you some examples of these, but you have to find them out for yourself and start to codify them uh, in your own understanding. <clears throat> Just talk to a owner of uh, a, a home, home building and development company, and they have a lot of communities that are in closeout mode. And they have one new community that's just opened and they have a couple of infill projects that are pretty small. But if you've been around the industry or that company for a while, you would expect and predict that if, if the 85% of your communities are in closeout mode, I mean, there's just a handful left and you've got one that's just brand new starting up, the amenities not in and only one product type is there. You should at, you know, within year one to three of your career, be able to be picking up on those things and be like, this is going to be a rough patch. It's going to be a rough patch because I can get people's attention all day long, but the product is not in a, in, in the best light. It, it can't be showcased um, as efficiently, effectively, even saying that people are, you'd be right to disagree with me because it's not like what's left has to be what's worse. It just typically is because it's been mismanaged. But those four home sites that haven't sold in the last five years in the master plan, there's probably a reason. There's something wrong with it, maybe. And then trying to, in a master plan, if you're not rolling out multiple product lines at multiple pricing and having multiple, like this is a master plan where it's just one builder, only one of six products is currently available. Like it's going to be a slower. So I guess what I'm saying about builder, it's, it's understanding like, what is your typical community pacing look like? And that, that's the first one I could like identify. If you should be able to know 
And, and that's how you figure out with the pre-sale without fail process. Like how hard am I going at the beginning? How hard do you typically go? If, if your typical community launch is no big deal and it kind of goes smoothly enough and everyone's happy and great. If you're trying to get different results or you know that the last four launches went terrible, maybe you should try a different, like that would be proactive. Like, Hey, maybe we should yeah. try something different. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. But you have to know what the expectation, what the proper expectations are. It can't be something pulled out of the sky. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so then those, those, those builder cycles of at the community level, um, at phases, uh, model homes, what does the typical like energy graph look like in terms of how much I have to put into this and be ready? I just kind of see all those floating up in my head all the time, uh, more or less. And I'm managing those. But then when something's not working uh, or you sense that it is slowing or decreasing in effectiveness, then it all, it always breaks back down to the community level analysis. Yeah. And so no, you have to know how to do that. Um, and then at most time people are trying to solve the problem, but this goes back to what Andrew said, you solve the problem, but the, you have to spend the next 15 minutes after that and say, now, how do I proactively, what would be my sign? So that, I think that's, again, part of why it takes time for this, Julie, is <clears throat> anything that's surprising you that's causing you to be reactive. First of all, if we're honest, uh, my experience has been that the majority of the people I've interacted with, they're kind of okay with reactive based upon the idea of I'm overwhelmed or I don't have the time anyway, or, or they're just kind of like some really strange people. It makes them feel important or needed. I don't know if you've ever worked with those people who it's like they're a super important part of the organization, but you walk into their office and there's paper everywhere and they're constantly flustered and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm just so far behind and they have 40 things to do. Some people like it, but every time you're caught off guard, you have an opportunity to say, why did that happen? And then begin to at least test some methods of, of being more proactive. Yeah. But I think to go back to kind of a smaller viewpoint, the thing I think really tricks people up is they're looking at numbers and metrics and not rates of change. And rates of change require calculation. And even then, like you have to have context because a rate of change of traffic levels or lead levels or appointment levels from one community might be totally fine to have it fluctuate 30%. And another it shouldn't fluctuate more than 10%. And there's no way to know than just to watch kind of how it tends, tends to be. But I've, how many times have we said this over the years, Andrew, like any metric on its own, like, well, I have plenty of leads. Yeah. One metric is miserable. There we go. One metric is miserable. There's my quote. It's not your new t-shirt. It's, it's not useful. You want to hear when you hear all, when I, when you say all that, Kevin, is that whoever this person is that needs to be more proactive, everybody probably they need like a much stronger pulse on product availability, I guess. Like if we are e-commerce and you don't know when things are in stock or out of stock, it's probably pretty important. Like I'm not going to run ads for this phone if we don't have any to sell for the next six months. Yeah. If you have no, no idea availability, that's, that's not helpful. I, I just talked to a builder who sells, you know, anywhere from a hundred to 300 homes a month. And only one person in their entire marketing team has access to sales month to date. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, what are we doing then? 
you know, it's really hard. You're working in a vacuum of things that you think are important, but there's no way to connect it to, to sales and revenue. I mean, that's, that's just really hard. They can only be so good at that point, like a B. But I, but here's, and this is, this is the part where I get old man. Um, too many people are waiting for their boss to tell them this stuff. Like, well, I'm waiting for my boss to tell me what's important. Like, uh, no, if you don't have a good, a good enough scoreboard internally, then you need to make one. If it's not used by anyone else, that's great. But like, I mean, most of the stuff that I've, and you gotta be careful not to overcomplicate things either. And everyone has the right balance on that, but I never waited for Marty to say we needed to know X, Y, and Z. It was like, no, this tripped me up last time. So I need some document, some way of not getting tripped up by that again. And then I got to be nice enough and helpful enough to everyone else to get them to buy into wanting to help me keep this document updated or give me accurate information. Yeah. I almost feel like just pretend like you're in e-commerce and then you might, there's a mindset shift. Like you just need to know when when there's product. And like the flow of product, how many, what did we sell last month? What, what should we be selling this month? What do we have available? Yeah, but again, this goes back it. to a little what we talked about last week of the four people in the room who like know the pricing or constantly changing product. I mean, mm-hmm. the number of times that I'm hearing right now about these community launches that are super important and they're like, it's going to go to launch in two weeks. Can we say what the century pricing is like from the nearest hundred thousand dollars? Oh no, we can't, we don't have that yet. And so that's, I think actually the problem is that the rest of the company views what we do as e-commerce. I mean, I, again, I talked to a builder yesterday who's been tracking their, um, timeframe from lead to sale. Okay. Fun. Maybe, uh, three years ago, it was like 180 days and now it's 400. Oh, wow. Now there's reasons why. That's a lot of days. But if you're at, if the rest of your company is acting like what you do is anywhere near e-commerce, mm-hmm. you're screwed because you have to be communicating to these people a year, year and a half ahead of time if you want to get a sale. And so that's where people are like, well, I don't want to put it on the website yet. Well, I mean, and there was this time where people were moving faster, but now people are moving slower, but we don't want to put anything on the website now because we haven't done that for a while or we don't have final pricing yet or, 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 and it's like, the rest of the company has to understand there's a critical process and we need time. And I, I keep using the silly example yeah. of if Disney wanted to make a new Marvel movie every day, they could spend a trillion dollars, but it's not going to happen in a day. Like you, no amount of money will overcome a lack of time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's actually one of the struggles is that from everyone else's perspective, they're like, oh yeah, we just like, yeah, those marketers are going to spend a lot of money, but we'll just let them spend it but we're just not going to tell them anything until the last second. And then they can just spend the money and go. <laughs> nope. Still need time. That's a fun question, Julie. <laughs> Andrew, what do you got? Oh, you know, I don't know if I really have anything this week. So to keep it shorter, no story time for me I, this week. I'll definitely have one after the summit. Like <laughs> for sure. For we sure. don't know be if we can share all those stories, but you'll have stories. That's true. After what the happens summit. at the summit stays at the summit. Uh, I guess. Yeah, I, I will. I am going to try to, for at least a couple of the sessions, get a recording from the soundboard that's as high as quality as we can. And we'll see if we can turn some of them into episodes um, of the podcast a couple of weeks after. 
yeah, people because cool. there's a couple sessions in particular that I think will just be good for the whole as many people as possible to hear. Um, mine was going to be kind of that that same vein of just marketers not having access to information um, and or decisions being made by sales management. This again, I already know there's this kind of like friction between sales and marketing that, that occurs in any down market where everyone starts to kind of point at each other. But I was on with a builder um, yesterday who had a particular neighborhood that was struggling. And this is a big focus project for the company. I pull up the site map, like they want to have eight sales a month or like the way the market provider them said they needed 80 leads a month and they've been averaging like 16 to 18. And I'm like, wow, well, this, this neighborhood must be really in a pickle and like just dying on the vine. Pull up the site map, things almost sold out. Um, there's like seven home sites left in phase okay. one. And, and this marketer says, oh, well, that's, first thing is, Kevin, there's there's a whole bunch more phases to come, but these are million to $2 million houses. Uh, the site map looks like it's mostly sold out. And then there's another like 12 that are labeled not available which inside baseball, most markers would be like, oh, those must be ones that another builder owns or they're a topsoil pile. But I'm like, they can't be 12 topsoil lots on this plan. That would, that's just nuts. And they're all kind of premium home sites. Cul-de-sac, not available. Hmm. Oversized lots, not available. And meanwhile, we have this challenge of, they're saying we want a lot more leads. But all the home sites that a million, $2 million buyer might want are not available. Yeah. And like, well, how, what does that mean? Hey, the sales manager doesn't want to make them available because they think we'll sell them for more money if we wait longer. Like, um, I don't, I don't understand. What are you saying? Well, yeah, I'm like, but you want, you want more leads now, right? Yes. We want more leads. So I think there's this other weird thing where managers incentives are not always aligned. And I, obviously in this case, that sales manager must get some spiff for increasing profit and that's fine, but not again, being honest about how these things work together. So we, 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 we fixed their problem after I understood that in, in about, in about two minutes by saying, first of all, can we talk about phase two or, or, you know, new home sites coming soon? Oh, sure. We could, we could do that. I'm like, okay, well, that'll increase your conversion rate. And can we make these other home sites available and say premium home sites in phase one available? Oh, sure we can. And just because we had such a gap of leads, assuming that we even, you know, want to hit that gap. I was like, do you have any incentives going on? Oh yeah, we have incentives, but they're all back pocket only. Like, okay, but you want, you know, 60 more leads in this neighborhood. So we might have to talk about Maybe we talk about, you know, developer discounts available on select home sites on phase one. We don't even have to say the amount if you don't want to, but you can't save all of the incentive for the salesperson to use, keep off your premium. Anyway, that's my belabor the point, but who, who is making these decisions and working collaboratively is paramount. And it, it is frustrating to hear a marketer being stuck with all, like, it's not one, not two, but tie both, both of your arms and your legs behind your back, but hit this <laughs> <huge> Go swimming. <laughs> legal. Yeah. 
What are we doing? Oh, you gotta be frustrated. I think that's what I mean when I say e-commerce mindset. Like that person needs to be aware of like in stock, out of stock, be pre-order, but like they're being expected to sell all this in one day. And it's like, we have nothing quote in stock right now. Like, right. We can't but sell I, anything. I guess, and maybe You're this is part of the, what you mean by e-commerce, Andrew. Yeah, I just is. mean product. Um, Get the marketer at the table to have that conversation. Right. They're the ones selling, selling it. They're not talking to people, but they're the one selling it like an e-com. Like it's on the marketer. There is no salesperson. Um, it's the marketing person is the one with the more intimate knowledge of when is this available? When is it not available? As much as a salesperson is, is what I'm thinking. Um, yeah. yeah, that would be frustrating. Oh my, that's a lot more leads. 16. There's this, there's 80. this viewpoint from a lot of division presidents, owners, then we'll move on of the sales department is, is revenue and they're the ones making the sales happen. And that's true. But when you're thinking through strategic questions, it is a little bit of like, um, and this is too extreme of a word. I just don't know what else to use. And for the sake of, I don't want Olivia to have to edit out me thinking for 10 minutes. It's like letting the, the, the wolf in the hen house a little bit, you know, you're asking the opinion of someone who is paid via commission. And so there is an incentive aligned there, but also it's, it's misaligned to me the marketer has the most um, big picture viewpoint there. Like, obviously we want the company to make money and we want sales to happen, but we're not overly concerned or under concerned, hopefully, because you should have empathy and want the team to work well. But also we're not going to be like, Hey, let's just, let's give away this home site for $0, even though it should be a $30,000 premium because we need to give the salesperson a win. And yeah. Like a conflict of interest for so those people to be, be making those decisions. I mean, that's and uh, the example I use for that is there was a gentleman at, at our at Heartland when we had our on your lot business where he was the salesperson and he did the costing and made up the price for all options mm -hmm. and floor mm -hmm. plans. Mm -hmm. Shockingly, the first like twenty we made didn't make nearly as much money as we thought they would. Hmm. Wonder why. Because he was trying Pretty to hard. get the sale. So whenever yeah. he needed to get the sale and the pressure was on for the month, he would just adjust his margins a little bit or yeah, it just doesn't. I, and it's not, I don't even think it's the conflict. It's the fact that someone's being left out. It's not so much that the sales leadership shouldn't be in that conversation, but so should marketing since you can have that. Yeah. That evens it out. Mm -hmm. Evens the, yeah. yeah. Checks and balances. Mm -hmm. There you go. Hey, online sales specialist, your Do You Convert coach, Jen Barkin here. Are you looking for guidance, structure, and proven methods to help you set more appointments and create more sales? Then join online sales coach, Jesse Suggs, and myself. We are offering an intense two-day virtual training experience, followed by eight weeks of training and coaching through our online sales academy this fall. Jesse and I have been in your shoes, and we teach from our direct experience and years of coaching online sales specialists just like you. This will be hands-on and real world. No theory here. If you're interested, don't miss this incredible opportunity. Reserve your spot today by visiting doyouconvert.com. All right, first up from builderonline.com, Builder Magazine, Story Living by Disney shares um, inside look into Cotino. Cotino, Cotino, yeah, its first good. residential community. The first stage of development will include more than 300 homes 
picturesque parks and other unique amenities. Uh, so we talked about this a, a while ago, but for those of you who don't remember, uh, Story Story Living by Disney um, is taking a Disney-like approach to master plan development. And I believe, if memory serves me right, this is kind of like, um, <laughs> we're going to skip by this very, very quickly, but it's like Trump putting his name on golf courses. It's like Disney isn't the one um, actually doing the land development, but they are lending their expertise in branding and storytelling to kind of try to make these communities achieve a different level of development standards and storytelling. So this is the first one. That's cool. Um, yeah, I think, heck, it, it can't hurt. No. Um, if you are familiar with Disney and it's like, if you believe that like the Disney experience is special is I don't say unique. Cause that's usually not a good thing, but like, if it is like truly like to me, if you go to Disney world magic kingdom and you go to universal or you go to six flags, you're like, Oh, there is actually is something different about Disney. And if you truly think that like, then you could be like, then you truly, you just understand this like from the get go. But if you've never had that experience or if you don't believe that then you're like, Oh, cool. Disney, so make another, you know, a couple hundred million on this cute. They own Marvel, yeah. Disney plus Hulu. They own everything else. We might as well live where they own. But I, I, I think it'd be really cool. I would love to see it once it's actually built up to see if it lives up to the expectations. I really like the, the crystal lagoons. Those are like all over the place. I feel like now that yeah, technology, the big giant pools essentially that are perfect year round. So that'd be, that's interesting. And it's in a Valley Coachella. Yep. So that feels like a paradox. What is that doing over there? D Disney doesn't have a great track record of doing this in the past. We talked about this as well, but just for those of you who might be newer to the podcast, it's a checkered history of, of how Disney's done residential. The yeah. part of the challenge is, and this is when I say it can't hurt from a painting the picture, I don't know of anyone, you know, if, if it says they're going to use a framework developed by Walt Disney Imagineering, you know, the ability to create um, memorable moments and memorable stories is what Disney excels at. The challenge is if you, and I think they're doing a, a smart thing. It's they're calling it a story living by Disney community, but the closer you get to the Disney brand from like an experience standpoint, it's like Icarus getting too close to the sun because everyone's experience is that they're going to be living inside of main street USA yeah. in Cotino. And that's where the reality of what you have after you move in, the expectations are so high if you've had great experiences at Disney that you're like, wait, there isn't someone, you know, hey, Frank, like every day when I walk outside, there's not like pressure this idealistic washing, little neighbor smiley faces. who's like, can I walk your dog for you? Can I, you know. That's not real. Shoot. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm, I mean, that's the ex expectation I have. So exactly. It's good. the power of brand because if you read this article, there's really not that much that sounds amazing. Like there's no facts that you're like, oh my gosh. But when they say something vague, you just assume it's going to be amazing because it's Disney. So it's really yeah. just the power of putting that name on it is all, yep. all it is so far. Yeah. yeah. And it says, you know, that the, there'll be several builders building out the homes. And so again, like the, the practical, I can just imagine someone somewhere not that this is a reason not to do what they're doing. Cause I, again, I still think it's a good idea generally, but someone's going to have, you know, 
too many drywall nicks in their pre-closing walkthrough. And they're going to like try to call Bob Iger and be like, Hey, yeah. this is not the Disney experience. It's just, that's going to be their hardest challenge is living up to that brand standard. But like, where's my Dole Whip? Did y'all read this? This is related and not related, but there's a paragraph in there. It's the first paragraph down. We're thoughtfully and intentionally bringing elements, et cetera, et cetera. That to me feels like it's written by chat GPT. Like this is ridiculous and not related, but I read it. I'm like, this is, there's so many words that just are marketing esque. Mm -hmm. Like this doesn't feel real. But that, and I, I don't disagree with you. It's like just it's, our filter as I, marketers. We catch that more. Okay. I, I don't yeah. know that the average person does other than they think, wow, that's highly descriptive. Yes. It's like over the fluff. top. It, it's, it's all fluff. Fluff and matter. It's a marshmallow. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's fluff. But yeah, back to Julie's point of it's, it's mostly brand. It's brand. It's Next cool. up from CNBC.com. Home builder sentiment goes negative for the first time in seven months thanks to higher mortgage rates. This is from September 18th. Builder confidence in the single family housing market fell five points to 45 on a scale of 100, I believe. Um, 50 is the line between positive and negative sentiment. So negative for the first time in seven months. Uh, also, multifamily permits or starts, sorry, were um, way down. They just released that a couple of days ago. Single family is still holding in there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I read this other uh, headline shoot and it was like housing's gonna housing just started their double dip recession it's crazy how this stuff all works together how we talk about things and it comes back around julie mm -hmm. so you're like hey last year housing started to decline in may and and then continued to decline through november and they're talking about pricing i believe and now they're talking about hey since may again like the latest data that finally got processed for may shows that housing has begun a recession again i'm like that's cyclicality. Like, what do you, is it <laughs> double year. dip recession? I mean, I, I think to their point, it's going to get worse before it gets better, but uh, interest rates and affordability, but I, I think homebuilder sentiment should still be higher because as long as existing homes stay off the sidelines, my sentiment is like 75 kind of regardless of other factors. There's just not enough options out there. In fact, the CEO of Compass uh, was interviewed today on CNBC and he was like, yeah, I mean, just look at the number of multiple offer situations our customers are in. Multiple offer situations on existing homes is kind of standard, he was saying, for Compass right now. Wow. I did think it was interesting too that 42% um, of new single family home buyers were first time buyers. And historically that's around 27. So that's what yeah. we're facing too, is a lot of our builders aren't catering to first-time buyers anymore yeah, not because they don't want to it's exactly impossible. yep and that's that's um more and more the market right now yeah, yeah. i wonder what percent um at least i see them here might just be my area there's still a, quite a few first-time home buyer assistance programs where you're getting 10 15 20 30 for your first-time home buyer um, as a down payment assistance from like local government which i don't know if it's federal money that then goes down to the county i have no idea but like Three people that I know first, that's what they huh. did to buy their first home that I know like past, past two months. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Why not? I mean, it's, it's for them, it's just money. like a, it's a free, it's a second mortgage attached to the home at 0%. So it's kind of free money. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. The, uh, the next one up is from business insider and, um, we didn't cue this one up 
but we also had uh, toyed about including a story about um, house poor is kind of the new standard. And to me, it goes with that. And house poor meaning the percentage of your income that goes towards your housing is increasing. But from Insider, more than a third of Gen Z workers work both a full-time job and a side hustle, and many still don't feel financially secure. To which, again, the old man in me says, spend less. Have you all seen the video that's gone viral about like shopping for a house in the 90s? Um, I don't think so. Maybe it's the 80s, but it shows a real estate agent and people walk in and they're like, talking about the floor plan and kind of the idiosyncrasies of homes that built in that time frame, And you got the spindles by the entryway, oh, yeah, the like yeah. half wall oh, spindle thing. I think so. I promise you, if you showed that video and told most um, Gen Z and younger folks that they could afford to live there, they would, they would be like, yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> so yeah. part of this is the problem of, and I'm coming at this again as someone who, who travels around the world, it to, to third world places of like standards just keep getting higher for what is acceptable. Definitely. Uh, you know, like I don't want to live somewhere that I wouldn't invite my friends over to. And this place is not cool enough or now that, let's just take all that old manism and push it aside though, because at the same point because of costs and financing, it's also true that like if you're driving anywhere right now with gas prices, uh, like on the West coast, I think six, seven bucks a gallon in, in places I've heard. So if you're driving places and you have to go back to the office to work and you want to live somewhere, like I, I get it. They don't feel financially secure. Yeah. I want to know. And I think this is what I do every, every article. I'm like, well, what do they mean by side hustle? What's the threshold for side question, hustle? Is this like they've Ubered once in the past month cause they're bored and they wanted to like well, what if I could make a hundred bucks on a Friday night? I have nothing to do. Now they have a side hustle or they like, I make X amount per year, but I actually need another 1500 per month. Like not even want, but they like, they need that 1500 to get by. That's different or, to me than like, let me I just try sell, to get some money. Do I sell something on Etsy Pokemon because cards. it's my hobby yeah. and it's also making me a little money. Like there's very different reasons for yeah. side hustle that may have nothing to do with your yeah. Mm -hmm. mortgage. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's no shortage of side hustles you could do to make real cash. But I think what, what I'm hearing you both say is, or is the side hustle kind of like a convenient enough thing to just spend a little time or just something you enjoy? Yeah. yeah. Is it a pet Not project or you do you need the money to pay your bill? Or is it right. but yeah. Ubering on the weekends for six hours every day? Yeah. That's, part-time like that's like a sounds like a necessary or if you do it because you just want to like you're opting in to do that side hustle yeah um to get ahead or to save up but yeah um, i mean i sound pessimistic a little bit um i feel like i'm <laughs> well like boom, if you, boom, I mean, you want to make if you want to make real money like simple as usertesting.com you can get paid anywhere from uh, five dollars to fifty dollars to use a website and tell people your feedback and you could do potentially uh, five, six of those in an hour, easy. It's not fun necessarily. You like use this website about how to grow tomatoes and tell me what's wrong with it, but, or what you, you know, try to do this thing. But I think you're right. That is a good, that is a good point about um, why are they doing the side hustle? Is it really, yeah. but I just go back to like Viore pants, you you all familiar Viore? 
I don't even know if I'm saying that properly. I'm Googling it. B-U-O-R-I, I think is how you spell it. They're like jogger, sweatpant things. Okay. Like per- performance. You know, you, I don't know. It's, oh, it's like okay. Lulu-esque. Lulu-esque. Um, I mean, I had, I had someone who, who they, they make less than $30,000 a year. Okay. And they're like, oh yeah, I own like eight pairs of these pants. And the men's pants are $128. Yeah. I just. So like, I don't, I think that's, that's where the, like, just control your spending part. Yeah. Like probably all of this is true. I, like, I was the kid anyway in school who wore the Levi's, uh, knockoff brand, like not even Levi's and everyone dudes. else. Like, yeah. I didn't buy my first pair of um, fancy jeans until I was like 33 years old. Fancy Never jeans. Crossed my mind to pay. I still more don't than like 30 the, bucks I still don't like the jeans. fancy jeans. I'm yeah. <laughs> Well there you, there you have it. Anyway, the the connection here to home building if you're um still following. not picking up or putting down <laughs> is that um affordability, you know, it's it's not just people who are actively looking for homes, but it's, it's like in the consciousness of most people of how am I going to become financially secure? And so here's, here's the flip side of this. Hey, Gen Z, you want to get financially secure? And this is trite and easy for me to say, you probably should become house poor. Like having a house would long-term be number one or number two most important thing in terms of your long-term financial stability. I, if I would have any regret with my home purchases is that I did not now hindsight's 2020. So I could have been wrong, but like the, our first house, we could have been, we were not house poor. The mortgage was mortgage with insurance and tax, you know, out the door was 11, something $1,100. Right. We could have been like 14, 15. And I'm like, man, and we made whatever it was from 2014 yeah. to 2018. We, we did really well to help us by it made us be able to afford this home that we're in currently. But we could have been a whole lot better if I would have spent another fifty thousand in our current house. I'm like, man, if we would have gone up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But that's hindsight. Um, <laughs> like it's it could have gone the other direction too. Of like, oh, that's that's too much or whatever maybe. Yep. But yeah, it's an investment. Oh, we do have house pours back, so we'll link oh, it to well, it in the show notes. <laughs> I was like, I know that. Why, why does that sound familiar? That's also from CNBC.com. Again, you can go and read that for the sake of of time. We'll. We'll just, uh, we'll skip it for now. Favorites, uh, or things you hate. Yeah. I went today and bought some fake airborne for summit because I was so sick at builder show. So sick. And I'm determined, determined not to be sick this time. So hopefully this is my favorite if it works and I don't (laughs) get sick. So that's my goal. Nice. I literally had my favorite when first started. I'm like, this is my new favorite. I have no idea what I said. Oh goodness. Um, oh, the Barbie movie. That's my new favorite. We finally watched the Barbie movie, which if you're listening, you're like, is he trolling us right now? I didn't, I know there was like some grumpiness about it, whatever. I don't, I tend to just ignore any of that because I don't, I don't listen to the news because you could say one thing, you could <laughs> right. be like, you're such a nice person. Or it could be said like, you're such a nice person. You could say it different ways and like you perceive it differently how it's said. So I usually just read the news if I read anything, but I'm like, I thought they, message aside all the little things they did creating that i'm like oh this is really fun like to me my interpretation of it was a lot of scenes were acted out in the way they were done as if i have three kiddos as if like my daughter was playing with her barbies in her room like how she'll sing the same song for 25 minutes if she's messing with them and there's scenes in the movie where like 
this is never ending. Are you kidding me? Like it's still going, it's still going or like weird Barbie. If you've seen weird Barbie, I'm like, Oh, this is kind of cool. And then there's like the whole like intent of the movie was, was interesting. So I, I thought it was done well, even if you have whatever challenges with it. I'm just glad someone brought a, uh, a movie yeah. cause it's, I don't, I don't know that anyone's been brave enough to bring a movie yeah. out as their favorite. So I like it. It's my favorite this week, next week. <laughs> I enjoyed it. So if you haven't seen it, I think it's worth watching. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, Julie, go see, yeah. watch it on the plane. There, you there go. we go. Next, the way to we go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my favorite is a person this week, Lance Lambert um, on X or LinkedIn. You should follow him. And I know more people have, as I've shared uh, a lot of his stuff on, on my channel. Um, he's Fortune Magazine's real estate editor. And he just started showing up in my feeds about a year or so ago. So I don't know how long he's been there or in that particular role, but he's, he's from Cincinnati, Ohio. That doesn't hurt in terms of getting on my favorites list, but also he's just very fair and balanced and seems a lot of economists or folks tracking real estate who are not in home building are kind of like, yeah, whatever, but he's very locked in and, and interested in how uh, home building is, is connected and working with the, the broader real estate market. Just a really, really good guy. Um, so if you want to have a new voice to listen to, go find Lance Lambert uh, from Fortune Magazine. And, really, and really I'll, add, I'll add to it. One thing I don't like about X or Twitter is I, I sometimes feel like it's a fight for like who has the most clever or witty comment that will go sure. viral or get the attention. I never really feel that way with him, even when he's trying to be funny or have some mm -hmm. type of meme like the way he communicates i don't know how he does it what skill set this is to like know the right word to use that won't evoke the wrong emotion or the wrong intent um so i've, I've followed him for i feel like you can almost he, just follow he's him he's primarily a writer on. you know he writes things for fortune and a lot of times people who put things out on social channels don't really interact but he really does use the platforms correctly in that he's posting, I don't know, sometimes 15 times a day, different news uh, insights that he's found, but he will engage and answer questions. And someone will be like, Hey, that's a cool chart, but do you have it for California? And he's like, yeah, here you go. Like he's just Coming right up. super yeah. nice guy. Super nice guy. And, uh, and connected. All right. That'll do it for this week. Heading to Dallas. Woo. Bags are packed. I dropped off my dry cleaning today. I haven't, I haven't dry cleaned anything in like seven years. Yeah. And I was like, it's time before we <laughs> probably like, see you next year. I think because yeah. I only wear Once suits two, three times a year, uh, yeah. but That's we good. decided to clean them all, get them done. Yeah. be nice Ready and shiny go. for the oh. summit. It's awesome. <laughs> all right, everyone. We'll, we'll see you next week. All right. See y'all. Bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of market proof marketing. Can't wait for the next one or looking to connect with other new home marketers? Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, 
Andrew Peak, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof.